This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. so good to be with you. Uh, Jen, I love you. Benji, I love you. So glad you got past me and my brother. Uh, it's good to have you as a family member. Benji's just one of the most genuine people I know. All the years I've known him, I see him just genuine. And Jennifer, awe-inspiring. You know, if I had to describe her in one word. I know it's a hyphenated word, but, you know, awe-inspiring. I love the faith of my sister and brother-in-law. But, man, it's so good to be with you. This last year, I've been at Air Command Staff College in Montgomery, Alabama, at military education. And, uh, Man, I've been studying all about, you know, Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan and Korea and China and Russia and the effective uses of air power. And I'm not non-combatant, you know. I'm not going to drop any bombs on anybody. I'm going to pray for those who do. Um, but, uh, you know, to be in this place, to be back in, in really what's my heart and really calling of, of ministry and uh, studying the Word of God and to share it with you, I, I just, Benji, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm headed to Shepherd Air Force Base in one week. Uh, and Shepherd Air Force Base is a, is a place where uh, after boot camp, many people in the Air Force go to learn their job called tech school. So 60,000 airmen come through a year learning their jobs. And so if you think about uh, us and our family, be praying for all those who are beginning their Air Force career. But I'm praying that at that moment, that's so formative in their life, that they would be, put Jesus Christ at the center of their life and it would change everything about uh, their future. And so that's my prayer. But let's pray tonight as as we prepare the in, to enter the word of God, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us think properly about you. Lord, you are magnificent. You are the source of mercy and grace and truth and justice and compassion and forgiveness. You are ever loving. You're never leaving. You've made a way through Jesus Christ so, so that we can here and now in this room boldly enter into the Holy of Holies and there to secure the anchor of our souls. Thank you, God, for your presence here. In these moments together, please guide the meditations of our hearts to a place that is pleasing to you. Transform us by the renewing of our minds. Speak to us for we're listening and we're ready to respond. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I, I love that you can open the word of God and you can, you can travel. You know, one of the movies that I said I, I watched the most often was uh, Back to the Future, right? Any, any Back to the Future fans? Specifically number two, you know, number two was what, 2015? So we're past that. I'm like, where's my hoverboard? You know, I'm trying to, trying to find it. But back, to, I love it because I love the time travel. And, you know, when we open the word of God, we can, we can look into the future. We can look into the past. We can look into what God's talking to us presently. I love that. So today we're going to begin by looking at the future, the future. So open to Matthew 24, if you have your Bibles with you, Matthew 24. And uh, as you turn there, man, it's such a joy being with you. My wife, Sunny, and my daughter, Edith, are here. Uh, Sunny, I love you so much. And uh, we have three other children that are downstairs and one on the way in October. So new job, new places, pray for us. We're so excited uh, for what God's doing. Five children. You heard that correctly. Um, 
But we're here. We've invaded our Southern California's, you know, our family here. We have, if you know our family, it's pretty big, and we've just invaded. And, and one of the questions that we're getting asked all the time is, so what's the plan for this week? Or what's your plans for tomorrow? And that's like the most complicated question because we, we have to, you know, orchestrate this movement of, of my, my, you know, my mom, who we're staying with, has 25 grandchildren. Well, 23, she'll have 25 in just a few months here. Um, 25 grandchildren, and almost all of them live around here. So we got to orchestrate all that. And it's, it's crazy. What are the plans? I don't know. You know, just going anywhere is a, is a great ordeal. Um, uh, but my parents and my siblings have been so gracious. Jesus was asked by his disciples, what are the plans for the future? What is God going to do? Jesus began to express some things, and the disciples' ears perked up and perked up, and were like, "Man, I want to know more about that." Jesus, what is it going to look like in the future? And so, in Matthew twenty-four, we have Jesus's response. In verse four specifically, Jesus answers and says to them, "See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying I'm the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars." Right? This is why we need the Air Force. And what, what branch are you? Uh, Marine, Corps. Marine Corps. This is why we need the Marine Corps. Hurrah. You know, this, we, we need, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that's not the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. In various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things were merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all the nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because of lawlessness increasing. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I'm sure the disciples at this point are like, man, why'd we ask? You know, like, stop, Jesus, stop. I don't want to hear any more. I mean, this is pretty intense stuff. But Jesus continues throughout the whole chapter. But if we jump forward to verse 21, he says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So, so the future, Jesus is saying, the future will involve deception, war, conflict, rumors, famines, earthquakes, murder of Christ followers, hate. Many Christians will fall away, betrayal, lawlessness, cold-heartedness, a lack of love, a grueling test of endurance. What do we do with that? I mean, Jesus is saying these words. I know as I'm reading through Scripture, I'm kind of like, where's the good part? You know, I just want to skip this chapter because there's so many great things that I want to focus on. Let's not talk about this. But this is what Jesus gives us as a picture for the future. And I'm like, man, this is not my retirement plan. You know, this is not what I see for my children in the future, what I want them to be living in. I mean, what if Pastor Benji came and said, okay, the vision for Light Church is that we're going to be a group of people that will be betrayed, hated, and murdered. Come join us, you know? Like, this is our future. Come join the church. But in a lot of ways, this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. This is what the end is going to be like. This is what the future is going to ha- how it's going to look. So how do we prepare? Verse 29, it continues, 
It says these things will come to pass, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Therefore, be on alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. For this reason, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. You know, in the military, we talk a lot about readiness, God, be ready for anything. You got we should go have all these exercises and all these planning and all these operations, these things that take place. And there's often a brief that sounds a little bit like what Jesus, all these bad things can happen, you know, and you're just sitting there like, oh my goodness. And during this exercise, we're going to suck rubber. We're going to wear a gas mask for four hours and, and you, know, you need to be prepared for all these things. And so be on alert, be ready. Jesus is, is, is setting, laying this out and saying, be on alert. Be ready, acknowledge that I've said these things and, and that there's a day when the Son of Man is coming and an hour you do not think he will. How do we respond? Honestly, I think that we often ignore this. You know, I, I think we look at other passages, we give our t- attention to maybe easier concepts. I, I think we make the same mistake that's been made in the past. You know, 2,500 or so years ago, there were those who were receiving prophecies about the future. And again and again, prophets would come and tell them, hey, these are the things that are about to take place. And, and as we look at this story, we're going to go to Jeremiah 25.8. I'm, I'm warning you now, this kind of be like a sword drill. Anybody ever you know, grow up Sunday school like sword drill? Hey, look at this path. Who can get there the fastest? We're going to kind of do that today. We're going to cover a lot of passages. So if you need to use your table of contents, it's right there in the beginning. It'll tell you where the book is. Don't be afraid to use it. Sometimes that's the fastest way to get there, okay? Jeremiah 25.8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you've not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I'll send them to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Okay, what's going on in the context here? This is Jeremiah the prophet talking to the Israelites as they're in Jerusalem. Now, as we look at any passage in scripture, I want to encourage you, think about these individuals here that we've been grafted in this family. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, this is our spiritual heritage. These are our ancestors. You don't need to spend a ton of money on Ancestry.com or 23andMe to figure out your ancestors and those stories. Just go to the Word of God. This is your family. This is the spiritual heritage that you've been grafted into. And so you can know the stories and know that one day you're going to meet these people face-to-face in heaven. And you will have known their story. I can't wait to talk with Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a tough calling. He had a ministry of just warning people, that, and people never received his warnings. I mean, that's tough. I can't wait to go and say, man, thank you for your faithfulness. That must have been terrible, right? But here, Jeremiah is saying, hey, here's the things that have Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is going to come and wipe us out. They're going to invade, and they're going to take us captive. If we don't repent and listen to God and turn from our ways, then God's going to take this all away. My servant, and, and he will uh, bring against them this land and against its habits, against the nations around about, and I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing. 
and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone and the light of the lamp. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these things will and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. This was the warning. And really, Jeremiah's warning comes right at the end of all the other prophets. Isaiah, 150 years earlier, was saying the same things. And he laid out the same timeline, saying, hey, if you don't, God's going to bring about a judgment that's going to take place. Because you've been in this land for 490 years, and you've disobeyed God for almost all of those. And one of the important things about this is that you're supposed to observe the Sabbath, specifically every seven years. And you haven't done that for 490 years. So God's going to bring about judgment so that you have 70 years. And as the judgment takes place, there's 70 years of Sabbath for the land before God restores them. 70 years. Lays it all out. And the people ignore it. Ignore the prophets. They decide that they're going to listen to those who are saying, hey, the future is great. Follow your heart. There's going to be great things that happen. Prosperity and success are ahead. Just keep moving forward and all this exciting stuff. And, and they say, yeah, we want to listen to these prophets, not those prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah. We can read about it in 2 Chronicles 36. 2 Chronicles 36, 15 says, The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn for he had compassion on his people and his temple. God is so compassionate. I love that God is so compassionate, that he's patient. But can I tell you, I want to hear God the first time. Don't you? When God sends a message, when God uses the word of God through the power of his Holy Spirit and reveals something to my heart and my soul, I just pray at that first initial moment that the volume of the Holy Spirit would be so loud within me that I can't ignore it. I can't shut it up. I can't push it away. I got to respond to this right away. Because we see that they heard this, and, and, and what was the response? It says, the people mocked these messengers of God, in verse 16, and despised their words. They hated them. They just plugged their ears. I don't want to hear you, Jeremiah. They treated Jeremiah horribly, and Isaiah, and they just, no, I don't want to hear you. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained, and nothing could be done. So the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. The Babylonians killed Judah's young men, even chasing after them into the temple. They had no pity on the people, killing both young men and young women, the old and the infirm. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. The king took home to Babylon all the articles, the large and the small, used in the temple of God, the treasures from both the Lord's temple and from the palace of the king of the officials. Then his army burned the temple of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces, and completely destroyed everything of value. Just as the prophets had warned, this is what's going to happen. The king of Babylon is going to come. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and invade and destroy everything. Verse 20, it says, The few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon. And they became servants to the king and his sons until the king of, kingdom of Persia came to power. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. See, God's going to fulfill his prophecies, his promises. He has in the past time and time again. Jesus over and over again shows how he revealed his 
he uh, accomplished the things that was prophesied about him over and over again. It was funny, one time I had a, uh, one of our fellow chaplains who was an Orthodox rabbi, and he was staying in our home, and of course he couldn't eat anything off our dishes or anything like that, and uh, he couldn't eat any of our food, and so I tried to find him some kosher food. At that time I was in Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, and it was like hard to find anything for him. Uh, but, but I remember we got into this conversation, and uh, he hadn't had, he was a brand new lieutenant uh, in the Air Force and hadn't had much exposure to, to Christianity, really. And uh, he asked me a question at one point amidst all of our conversations that took place. He said, why, why do Christians think Jesus is the Messiah? I was like, oh, like, are you kidding me? Did you just ask me? Like, I didn't express this, but this is what I was feeling on the inside. Like, that's the greatest question ever that you could ask me, you know? Like, I'm not trying to, you know. So, so I got in this conversation with him, and I started talking to him all these scriptures of the Old Testament. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, you know, Deuteronomy says this. And, and, and so I started going through, and he's like, well, see, you're using uh, your terms for the books of the Bible. And I, I just know the Hebrew books of the Bible. And we don't talk about it like verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We talk about the stories. And so what I did after that is that evening, um, we were having a hard time communicating and trying to talk about that. So I went and, and, and took all the prophecies of Jesus. It's like 380 prophecies in the Old Testament that talked about Jesus. I put them all down. I took the, the names of the books in Hebrew and put them all down. And I put the, the New Testament names in there and showed where he fulfilled those prophecies. And, and I said, hey, you know, you asked me that question, and I just thought you'd be interested. And, and, uh, and so um, he's like, oh, just email me. So I, I tried to email him. Uh, and... The next day, he, he comes to me and says, hey, I didn't get that email. I said, oh, he's really interested. Oh, cool. So, so I went to my computer. I printed it off real quick, and I went and I handed it to him. He, and he looks at it, and he goes, oh, I got this email. I was, I was talking about a different email. You really want me to know this, don't you? I was like, well, it's kind of a big deal. But, um, but the prophecies of the Old Testament, God is faithful, these, the words can be counted upon. They're true. And so when we read and we say, God's going to do these things. This is not just kind of like, uh, you know, wishful narratives that are created for, this, this is truth. God's going to do these things. So when we read Matthew 24 and we say, Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen in the future. We don't discount it. We don't ignore it. But I love that when it begins to talk about the exiles to Babylon, and I want to focus on the few who survived. I mean, these are the ones that Hebrews 11 talks about, right? The biblical hall of fame, if you will. Those who are, are just of, of great faith. You know, people like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Where Daniel's like, I'm not going to stop praying no matter what anybody says, right? Shadrach, Meshach, I'm not going to bow down to false idols no matter what anybody says. And God was faithful and saved them and brought them through. I want to be like them. If it's going to take great endurance, I want to look at those who have already ran the marathon. Right, if, if their time is coming where I'm gonna, it's going to create great endurance to be able to walk this walk of faith with Jesus Christ, then I want to look and, and find those who've done it before and be trained by them. Anybody run a marathon? You, you don't just wake up one day and go run a marathon, right? You, you have to train. And say, what is this going to be like to put my body through this? And what do I need to do to prepare? Well, well the walk of faith is like a marathon. So Psalm 137, this is what they felt like when they were in exile. 
After all these things had happened, right? Their families, a lot of them, family members have been killed, their homes destroyed, their temple burned down, their walls broken, they're taken as slaves to a foreign land, they're prisoners of war. And here's what they say, beside the rivers of Babylon in Psalm 137, beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees, for the captors demanded a song for us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Can you just see them? Sing a song. We, we always heard about all the great songs that would happen in Jerusalem. Sing them for us. And they're just like, we can't sing those songs. Verse 4 says, but how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you. If I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. You see, these exiles, these prisoners of war had learned the lesson. In the past, they had ignored the things of God. Now they're saying, man, if, if I forget Jerusalem, if I forget the presence of God, if I forget the good things that God has done for me, let me forget everything else. Anybody know Modest Yahoo? Yeah, yeah, okay, so one, you know, he sings, this, I love this line for the song, Jerusalem, if I forget you, let my right hand forget, it comes right here from Psalm 137, it's great, let my right hand forget what it's supposed to do, so that's what they're saying is, I, I, God, that's one, number one, that's the most important thing, we've learned this lesson, and so God, let me not forget in these 70 years of exile that I won't forget who God is and what he's done. Last month, uh, I was able to hear uh, Colonel King Cordier, Air Force uh, F-4 pilot, uh, back in Vietnam. And he was on his 176th mission, 176 missions over Vietnam. And, uh, and he's flying, and all of a sudden, a, a surface air missile, two missiles were shot up at his plane. The first one hits him right in the gut of the plane. Ejects from the F-4, his co-pilot behind him ejects, and as he comes out, he describes this fireball below him as the second missile exploded. And he thought for sure this was it. So he said his prayers, okay, God, this is it. You know, all these thoughts race through his mind as he enters into the fireball. And all of a sudden, he pops out the other side, lands on the ground, really kind of unscathed by the fire. And right away, he just felt God's presence, even as the North Vietnamese, Vietnamese began to surround him, strip him, blindfold him, sit him in a truck with his co-pilot and others. And they begin to head up to Hanoi, and every village on the way north, they stop, and they bring him out of the truck on display for the villagers, and the villagers come and spit on him and kick him. And they get all the way up to Hanoi. They enter in the prison camp at the Hanoi Hilton. And he's there for six years and three months. Tormented, interrogated, tortured, not able to communicate others around him, not even able to exercise or he'd get beaten. All these different things take place for this crazy long period of time. But he begins to talk about how different stories of the word of God sustained him. And I love this because here we are at Air Command Staff College, right? All these officers, future leaders of the United States Air Force, majors in the Air Force, just a room full of them. And, and here he is talking about how God's word sustained him through those difficult times. And I'm just like, praise the Lord. 
Ever since Vietnam, this guy has been telling his story and talking about how God sustained him. And here we are in this secular environment, and he's giving glory to God. Praise Jesus. God works in mysterious ways. But as he's telling this story, he talks about how Job and Paul, those stories begin to come to his mind and, and sustain him in those difficult times. But one of the things really stuck out to me, he said that as he was a prisoner of war, one of the things that he noticed over the years was that people that were there for a long time, their faces began to droop and look hopeless. Just, just Their faces just began to get contorted. They're just drooping. And he thought, you know what? I have a hope and I have a faith. How can I make sure that the outside reflects what's going on the inside? Just like Benji talked about baptism, right? How can this outward display of hope be evident to others? So what he did is he called it forced optimism. He would go in his little cell, and he'd come up against the wall, and he'd get up on his tippy toes and lean against the wall and smile as big as he could for as long as he could. And he just stood there, and he smiled, and he smiled, and he smiled until he couldn't anymore. And he would take a break. And he'd get up and he'd just smile. Six years, three months he was in there. But his heart had been stirred up that he could encourage his fellow prisoners just by looking at him. That something was different about it. His face wasn't drooping. So he worked hard. He said, this is just one way that I can let the light of Jesus shine through me in this moment. How many times do we go through things, and, and as Jesus talks about the future, that there's difficult things ahead, that there's pain and there's hurt and there's difficulty, but we can come to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, teach me to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Let the joy of the Lord be my strength, that I'm not being fake somehow when I feel despair, when I feel the brokenness and the hurt and the pains in this world, but Lord, let the joy of the Lord be my strength. Let the truth of Jesus be stirred up within me. You see, in Ezra 1.5, after the 70 years, these captives, all of a sudden, Cyrus, as prophesied, became the ruler of Persia. And he said, God has sent me to go and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. The day had come. And here's, as that happens, what happens in Ezra 1, verse 5. It says, Then the heads of the father's household of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites arose, even everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Anybody want to be stirred by God? Man, I want to be stirred up by God. I want that because there's so many things that can stir us up, right? There's so many things that we can get excited about. And in many ways, a lot of the Israelites were so stirred up by things that were not of God that they were distracted. I praise God he's made me a quitter. I'm like one of the biggest quitters I know. I love being a quitter because it's so liberating. There's things that I get distracted or stirred up about, and I get so passionate about it, and God's saying, I'm not in that. You're, you're stirred up by your own passions and desires. God, I, God wants me to do something different. I remember I was enrolled at San Diego State University. I had this vision. It's like, I'm going to start this Christian bookstore with this surf shop and do surf missions trips to Mexico. The problem was I was all about surfing and not about the mission. That's all I really wanted to do. I just wanted to surf a whole bunch and have a reason to do it that God would say it's okay, right? And, and so I got so convicted by that, I broke my surfboard in half, tore all my surf pictures off the wall, and moved to Montgomery, Alabama, went to Auburn. 
nobody in Auburn knows anything about surfing. You know, like, that's like the furthest place you can get from surfing. It's like football, you know. That's life in the world. Um, but, but there I was at Auburn, and, and God really helped me quit something that was so liberating because he began to stir my stuff up, my heart about things that were eternal, of great significance. Man, I, I've quit Green Bay Packers at times because they've gotten too much my attention, right? I, I've quit so I've quit leaking moi powder. Anybody, the Hawaiian salt, I had so much of that stuff, I got kidney stones, seriously. It was terrible. I was so passionate about leaking. I would put it on my oranges, on my apples, on everything. I would just eat the powder. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't do it. It's, you'll get addicted. But we get stirred up at my sisters, Jennifer and Tiffany, right? They, they got stirred up at some point about jelly shoes. Did anybody have jellies when they were younger? The little plastic-looking shoes with the little hills on them? Man, if they lost their jellies, it was over. Everybody on alert, find the jellies, because we got to make this girl stop screaming, right? So we would be looking for the jellies. And those things just, they're made to be lost, they're translucent, right? Like, where in the world? Well, just at least make them glow in the dark so we can turn off the lights. Like, where are these things? I think there were some that did. Um, jellies, right? We get stirred up about so many different things. But see, God will have, there will be great things that happen if God, we let God to stir us up. And I'm not just talking about momentary, like, just moments being stirred. Think about it. These exiles were stirred up, and for the next 20 years, they would rebuild the temple, not easily. They were full of fear. They had great opposition. They had great challenges. They had to deal with sin and temptation. There were so many things they dealt with within those 20 years, but God had stirred them up. But they were prepared. This is the thing that I love. Think about it. 70 years. If you were 30, 40 years old going into exile, lifespan is shorter back then, and your children are going to be the ones after 70 years that are going to go back and build the temple. So they had to teach their children how to be Levites, how to be priests, how to serve during the times of the festivals, how to be the songs. They had to teach it to them, invest in them, and prepare them for that. They were stirred up and prepared. And not only that, 20 years to build the temple, but then another 100 years to build the walls of Jerusalem. See, God may stir you up to do some things kind of, hey, I want you to go do this tonight, or hey, I want you to go do this tomorrow, and, and may put those things on your heart. Praise God. Let Jesus continue to come and stir your heart up continuously. But he may also stir you up something that's going to take the rest of your life. And maybe it's going to take the rest of your life, and not only that, what you invest into your children and for all of their life. Let God stir you up. Let God give you vision for what he wants to do in the future. See, John 14, 1 through, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. We're created for good works. What are these good works that he's talking about? Well, he says, these things which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You know, God's prepared things for us, and he's saying, hey, I want you to walk in these things. I, before you were in your mother's womb, I had thoughts of you and, and what the, I wanted to bring about through your life. We just have to be receptive to God and the Holy Spirit and say, okay, God, help me not miss it. Help me know what you're stirring me up to do because I want my life to glorify you. That's the purpose of why I exist. 
I love it that one of the first things, you look in Ezra 3, 3 through 4, one of the first things they did when they got to Jerusalem, laid the foundations, hadn't filled the temple, but it was the seventh month, the month of the Feast of Booths, of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Booths is all about remembering when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they lived in tents. And remember when they lived in tents, they could look out their window and at nighttime they would see a pillar of fire that represented the presence of God. In the morning when they woke up, they'd look out and they would see a cloud by day. And they would see manna on the ground. There was such a tangible expression of God's presence that every year they were told after that to remember during the Feast of Booths that God desires to be present with them in such a tangible and real way that every year they were to remember that. And so one of the first things they did, Ezra 3, 3 through 4, it says they set up the alternate foundations and they were terrified because of the peoples of the land. There was great fear in them. But they celebrated, verse 4, they celebrated the Feast of Booths as is written and offered the fixed number of burnt offerings daily according to the ordinance as each required. Let's go to the future again. In John 14, 1 through 3, our last passage talks about the future. John 14, 1 through 3, it says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. God is preparing a place. He's using wedding language here. Often, and there's another passage that talks about it, the, the groom would go and build the house when he's betrothed to a woman. He'd go and build the house, and he would tell her, hey, once I build the house, I'll come back and get you so that we can live there together for the rest of our lives. And Jesus is using the same language. I was hiking the other day, and I saw a snake go by. And I was so excited. I grabbed my camera. I wanted to take a picture because I couldn't wait. I wanted to show my kids. I went, guys, guys, I saw the snake. And I pulled it out, and I'm trying to swipe it. I'm looking at the snake, and the snake is gone by the time I get it to the camera. I'm like, ah! But right in that moment, God spoke to me and said, Jason, I can't wait to show you what I have prepared for you. Your heavenly father has this, he knows you, he created you, he calls you, his son and his daughter, and he's saying, I'm preparing a place specifically for you that you can be with me for all of eternity. That right now, I'm gonna transform you from glory to glory until we see face to face. Just let your heart be stirred up by the Holy Spirit. Respond to me, because I love you, and I, and I can't wait to show you what I have prepared for you. Let us pray. Gracious heavenly father, Lord, as we, we look at the future and, and the past and, and the present, Lord God, I just pray in this moment that we would be open to you stirring us up, that you created us, that you love us, that you know us, that you have plans for us for great works to glorify you. And so, Lord, there's so many things that want to distract us from that. And I just pray that you would help us see through all the distractions and have such a clear focus that we would pray just as the exiles prayed, Lord, if I forget you, let my right hand forget what it's supposed to do. It doesn't matter what skill I have or what thing I'm doing. If it doesn't bring you honor and glory, let me forget it. 
But Lord, show us a way that through the things that you've given us to do, that you would be glorified. God, I just pray in this moment, if there's anybody here today and you're stirring up their heart because you love them so much and they have not yet responded to you and said, yes, I receive you as my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And from this moment forward, I'm going to live for you the rest of my life. If, if God's stirring you up in that way and speaking to you in this moment, I just invite you to respond. You can respond by raising your hand and I will pray for you. You can respond. Here's the most important thing. God sees your heart. If you begin to confess this faith in Jesus Christ and make him the Lord of your life and follow you, guess what? He knows and he's preparing a place for you. I'll give you just a moment to respond, raising your hand to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior if there's any here that want to confess that in this moment. Gracious Heavenly Father, your love is so real, it's so tangible, Lord God. I know you desire to be present with us. Stir us up, Lord God. Lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Be glorified in and through our lives. Help us to be attuned to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.